0: with me in prayer. Father we ask now that you would do whatever it is that you desire to do as we consider even just for a brief moment of time uh, the fact that we have brothers and sisters um, across the globe uh, who are risking their lives just for the simple a chance to be able to do what we do on Sunday mornings uh, without even thinking twice about it, that just for gathering together. They're exposing themselves to death, to imprisonment, to abuse, to torture, not just themselves, but their families as well. Father, it's so easy for us, with the freedoms that we enjoy, to become comfortable and become apathetic Father, compared to so many around the world, uh, we know nothing of persecution. We ask that you would give us sensitivity, that you would help us to think biblically through some of these issues that we raise here this morning. Father, we ask uh, especially that you would um, stir in our hearts and our minds by the power of your spirit that you would move us to pray uh, frequently and fervently For those who are being persecuted for the name of christ and it's in his name we pray amen Uh, the first sunday of every november is uh, is given over to the international day of prayer that's um, a day of prayer for the persecuted church that um, churches around the world not just in america but uh, across the across the globe try to set aside some time just to remember the fact that uh, As we just prayed not everyone gets to do what we do on a sunday morning um, that there are many people who uh, who suffer and bleed and die uh, for no other reason than that they name the name of christ Um, and so what we wanted to do this morning is just take a little bit of time out of the service uh, draw your attention just to just to try to get us oriented to this this whole issue of Christian persecution. This is not exhaustive in any in any way. Uh, and then what we'd also like to do is we'd like to use this kind of as a, as a springboard going forward. I, I need to mention this because I'll probably forget if I try to save it for later. Um, going through the rest of this week, uh, Monday to Friday, one of the things that we'll try to do just to um, help us practically respond to this, if you go to our church Facebook page, facebook.com slash ebcga, every day, Monday through Friday, we'll, we'll post something on our Facebook page that will hopefully either give you greater insight into this issue of, uh, of Christian persecution, and along with that, we'll also kind of give you um, suggestions or Um, areas of need that you can pray for. So we we want this to be more than just informative, more than just kind of bringing something to your attention. We hope, obviously, that in the best sense of the word, that any kind of education that happens in the church is an education that leads to some sort of life response. And so we're hoping that by doing this, even in a small sort of way, um, that uh, many of us begin to cultivate habits of prayer, maybe even financial giving, Uh, maybe even working in foreign missions in some shape or form um, that would be kind of stirred up as a result of what we do here this morning. So just to put some of these things in front of you, what is Christian persecution? Christian persecution, if you just wanted a, a working definition, Christian persecution would be any unjust treatment, discrimination, or marginalization as a consequence of bearing the name of Jesus Christ. That's kind of a a broad, ambiguous definition, but the reason that it's sort of broad like that is because persecution takes on many different forms. Um, We tend to think of persecution in terms of physical suffering, and that's obviously the case. You don't want to minimize the times and places in which that happens. But persecution also happens in numerous other ways, Uh, being shut out of career opportunities because you're a Christian, or being denied... uh, I don't know, some sort of placement or advancement for your children because you're a Christian home, uh, having your, um, your businesses fined or even confiscated, property taken away from you. Uh, most of what we'll talk about today is on the more extreme end of the persecution spectrum, but just recognize that even in the places where people are not necessarily um, encountering martyrdom, that um, that still doesn't mean that they're not suffering because you can imagine for yourself if you were to be evicted from your home only because you're a Christian or you were denied work only because it was found out that you gathered with a group of Christians on Sunday morning, that clearly is persecution and is a form of suffering. It threatens your livelihood. It threatens the livelihood of your family. Uh, and so we want to be mindful of that even as we look at some of the uh, the unique hardships. Uh, This is probably a map we'll we'll need to put up on our our Facebook page. The world's worst persecutors. These are uh, top ten countries. This is from an organization known as Open Doors. At the top of the list, North Korea, Somalia, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan at number five, Sudan, Iran, Pakistan, Eritrea, and Nigeria are the top ten. You can tell that a lot of those, most of those are... Um, in the Middle East and in Africa is where the, uh, the most intense persecution goes on. Although, you can find in South and Central America persecution going on there as well. 80% is the estimate, 80% of all religious persecution, this is around the world, internationally, 80% is directed against Christians. 8 out of 10 times that there is some sort of offense or a crime committed against someone or against a group of people because of their religion, 8 out of 10 times it's going to be because they're Christian. Putting some of that further in perspective, and here's where you can jot some of these figures down in your notes here. On a monthly basis, every month, 322 Christians are killed. every month around the world approximately 214 churches and christian properties are destroyed and every month approximately 772 forms of violence are committed against christians and that can range from anything like um, muggings or physical attacks. It can be. Uh, it can be rapes. It can be abductions. It can be forced marriages. Every month, this is the kind of persecution that's taking place around the world, and oftentimes we hear nothing about it. There are tons and tons of things like this: forced marriages, abductions, even tons of things, even before you get to the loss of life, that happens on a daily basis that we never hear about, simply because it doesn't happen on, quote-unquote, a big scale. We hear about perhaps the worst atrocities, and we have a very diminished view of the amount of pressure that the church is under. But this is happening on a daily, monthly basis, 365 days a year, year by year when it comes to global persecution. Since the church's founding, 70 million Christians have been killed for their faith. 65% of that 70 million has been just in the 20th century alone. That's 1900s, we're in the 21st century. We don't even know what this century will lead to. But there have been more Christians who have died for their faith in the 20th century than in all other centuries combined that's hard to imagine because most of the time that we think about persecution and the church being persecuted we tend to think of like fox's book of martyrs right christians going to the Colosseum in rome um, being forced to fight being uh, thrown to the lions and we think of that as being the worst persecution that the church has ever encountered in the first say one two three centuries of the church but in fact the most persecution that the church has seen has just been in the last century, and it shows no signs of letting up in this century either. By the way, we should probably add to that that one of the things to consider is that in the same way that the 20th century saw more persecution than all the other centuries combined, the 20th century also saw more conversions than any other century combined. And even there, when we talk about things like that, we need to caution ourselves not to, not, to, not to take that flippantly, right, as if to say, well, you know, it's always good when the church is persecuted because look at what happens. The church grows and expands. A moment's Reflection realizes that's probably a very immature, callous way to look at it because very few of us would be thinking that way if we were in one of these countries or if that kind of persecution were coming to us. I think what it does demonstrate or what it does remind us of is that even in the worst of times, God is still in control. And so as we talk a little bit later here about the fact that not only do we want to be aware of the fact that our brothers and sisters around the world are being persecuted and are being punished because of their allegiance to Christ, we also want to recognize that when we pray and when we ask God to move, that that is not an empty exercise, that that is not a futile endeavor that at times precisely because persecution is happening, God is actually working to see to it that the church actually grows and expands and many more people are brought into his kingdom. 400 million, the last bullet point here, 400 million live under non-trivial restrictions on religious liberty. Of course, two of the places where this is showing up most recently or uh, most significantly uh, in the news, uh, whether that's on visual media or in print, Um, The continuing struggle that's going on in the civil war in Syria has opened the door for groups like ISIS to come in and not only to insert themselves in some sort of political way vying for power, but of course as they come in uh, seeking to uh, establish Sharia law in any uh, town or region or province that they take. As a result of that, they go through. uh, If ISIS is uh, is controlling your town or is the top dog, you basically as a Christian face uh, death at worst. At best you can hope for paying a, a tax, a religious tax, because of the fact that you're a Christian, so being hurt financially, monetarily. But that's, that's the best case scenario. Oftentimes you have families that are, uh, when ISIS moves in, families that are broken apart. Uh, the women, especially young women, uh, as younger than 12, teenage girls, are taken from their homes and handed off to ISIS fighters or handed off in forced marriages, they'll never see their family again simply because their parents are Christian. The other place where this has been on uh, on the front page news is some of the things that have gone on in Iraq, although Syria has kind of bumped that from the front page. Iraq actually at one time um, held one of the, the oldest Christian populations in the world. Um, that. Christian population in Iraq with uh, with the wars and the conflicts and the things that have gone on there has, has more or less decimated the Christian population. Uh, you probably can't see it, but the little caption under this slide says, at least 100,000 Christians have fled ISIS have have fled to either they have to live in hiding or they even have to leave their own home country because of the fact that they're under threat of death. 100,000, I'm not sure if that's even accurate anymore. It may be worse than that. As a percentage, though, you're talking about a very small percentage of the population that are Christian, and uh, Christianity in Iraq is on the verge of actually being wiped out because of the persecution that's taken place there, either because Christians are being killed or they're having to flee to find safety somewhere else. But it's very close for Christianity, at least as a presence in Iraq, to be non-existent anymore. One of the things that we wanna do right now is we wanna pause for a second. Having mentioned Syria and Iraq, we're gonna put a video up here on the screen that kinda centers on some of the things that have gone on with ISIS. Because I'm not sure whether or not you'll be able to see the the captions clearly, I think there are three different people um, whose prayers are being translated in the course of this video, as you see some of the images that are taking place. Um, It ranges from uh, women who have encountered suffering um, from ISIS, and then the last person is a uh, a man who was a former uh, ISIS member himself, but who was converted. And so this has a way of bringing things into perspective to recognize that there are many, many dimensions to this whole idea of persecution, even on the front pages when it comes to things like ISIS, to realize that not only should we be sensitive to praying for our brothers and sisters, but we even should be sensitive to praying for the persecutors themselves, that their eyes would be open to see the error of their ways, to see that they're lost in sin, that they've been deceived, and that God would open their eyes to see the reality of his presence, his character, that their eyes would be opened to see the reality, the truth about Jesus Christ, and that it would be uh, sort of like modern-day conversions of people going from Saul to Paul, that the former persecutors of the church are actually won over to the Christian faith by the examples of the Christians that they encounter, and that Uh, honor and praise are brought to the Lord as a result. So if we can get that video going.
1: Heavenly Father, Holy God, we come before you in complete trust and faith, knowing that there is nothing impossible for you. No matter how difficult the situation is, you're able to change it. You are our Father and Lord. You are the God of the impossible. In the name of Jesus, we trust you to stop the bloodshed. You are our only shelter. We have no one but you, Lord. We intercede before your throne. Put your hand in Syria and the whole Middle East. You see all the destruction and the bloodshed. We pray for those who are causing killing and destruction. Lord, convict them of sin that they may repent and return to you. We pray for the young people, men and women who live in Syria. They are suffering much. I pray for your church in Syria, Lord. Unite their hearts and their purposes that they may glorify your name and expand your kingdom. We pray for peace for Syria and the whole Middle East. Lord, you said in your holy Bible that a time will come when those who kill you think that they are serving God. You know, Lord, what Isis, Masra, and many other terrorist groups are doing. They are opposed to Christ, and Christians, and Jews, and all minorities. They think that they are doing your will. Please open their eyes, Lord, as you have opened my eyes and my mind. You said, Lord, that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free are slaves in the hands of Satan. They think that they are doing good. You know their hearts, Lord. Many of them are sincere. They don't know what they are doing. They don't know that they are wrong. This is how they grew up. All they know is Muhammad and the Quran. They think that they are in the true religion. Lord, you can draw them you like you drew Paul to you. You said I have chosen you before time. He used to kill and jail your people just as Isis is doing now. You appeared to him and called him. You can draw them to you, Lord. You can change their hearts. Please, Lord, we plead with you to visit Syria with your mercy. This war is from Satan against you, Lord, against humanity created in your image. Plant your love in the hearts of people that they may love you and love each other. Please, Lord, stop the terror and let your peace reign over those lands. We ask you, Lord, to glorify your name in this land. Thank you, Lord, for having heard our prayer, because we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
0: Uh, That's what this day is about. That's what this brief period of time has been about. Uh, You'll see this quote from John MacArthur, In prayer, human impotence casts itself at the feet of divine omnipotence. Uh, Your prayers are not in vain and are a very crucial part of what it means to join the side of your brothers and sisters who are being persecuted just for the sake of time, we won't go through all of the slides that we have there, but you have on, the, uh, on your handout, the bottom half of your notes, some suggestions, practical suggestions about how to go about praying for Christians who are being persecuted. And in particular, under uh, that first heading, what can we do? Uh, number one, getting acquainted with the happenings of the persecuted church. There there are many places that you could go to get information, but there are three websites that are listed there uh, on your handout, persecution.com, prayercast.com, and opendoorsusa.org. Any of those three would be good places to start. Uh, You can find information. You can find... uh, prayer plans you can find personal testimonies anything that would um, that would help keep you informed of the situation and they're and they're regularly updated especially with things that happen in the news a lot of things that happen in the news that never make its way onto our tv screens or into our papers and then uh, down at the bottom uh, how can we pray Uh, pray scripturally Find use this as motivation to get into the Word and to find passages of Scripture that relate specifically to the church, persevering under hardship, enduring, uh, being able to rejoice in the midst of suffering, being able to pray for their persecutors. Any, anytime you find things like that, those are worthy things to pray because we're praying God's Word back to Him, and He's certain to hear that. Uh, you want to pray sensitively. Don't, don't sensationalize what you're doing. Uh, don't diminish it at the same time. Recognize that persecution happens in a lot of different ways and uh, to many varying degrees and happens on many different levels, whether it's at the government level, the personal level, the family level, and just pray as God leads you. Pray systematically. That would mean anything from... Um, Taking, as we go through the week, and as you find this, uh, some additional information on our Facebook page. um, Maybe setting out um, a schedule to pray for a specific country where the church is being persecuted um, every week. Um, Or setting up in your own personal schedule, even if it's just once a day in the course of a week. One time in the course of a week. Just a, a regular, systematic approach to praying so that you do this not just once, but consistently through the course of, uh, of these months and years. And then obviously praying spontaneously is the last point there. Anytime the thought of persecution or the church comes to mind in this regard, take that as an indication that the Lord is bringing it to your mind to stir you up to pray. And whether you're, you're preoccupied, whether you're at work or school or engaged with the kids, even just a simple brief prayer on behalf of the church is a good thing. You don't know if the Lord is not stirring you up for the simple fact that someone at that very moment across the globe is in the midst of persecution. And your simple prayer on the spur of the moment could be the difference between life and death for them or could result in the conversion of someone who is perpetrating the persecution. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we ask now as we go to this time of communion, as we gather and as we recall what it is that you have done for us through the beating, the blooding, the mistreatment of your son, that you would cause us to reflect on the fact that there are those who are sharing the sufferings of Christ in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine. I pray, Father, that as we go forward that you would um, be faithful to bring to our minds and our hearts the plight of Christians around the world. Uh, many of whom, most of whom, will never even meet until we meet together in eternity. Help us, Father, as we reflect and as we pray for them, even to pray for our own churches and families here in the United States that we would even now begin to steel ourselves, to begin to prepare for any hardships that may or may not come our way. Help us to do this with joy because we know that Jesus and his kingdom is worth it. Accomplish your work in us and through us for the good of your church around the globe. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.
2: In keeping with our theme today, please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 10 just for a moment before we observe the Lord's Supper. I mentioned in my prayer earlier that we just completed a study of the book of Hebrews. And you remember that the book of Hebrews was written... Uh, for the purpose uh, to encourage a group of Hebrew believers, a house church, uh, to remain faithful to Christ in the midst of persecution. And uh, one of the things that the author does in the book is he reminds them of their uh, early days in their faith and how they were faithful in the midst of uh, great persecution and suffering. So look at Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I'll begin reading at verse 32. He says, but remember the former days when after being enlightened. Now let me just stop right there. Uh, That's referring to their conversion. Uh, To put it in very simple terms, uh, when the lights came on. And they were able to see uh, the infinite beauty and value of Jesus Christ. And when they embraced him as their Lord and Savior. I think of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where it reads, for God who said... Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Then he goes on, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Uh, conversion is just not believing certain facts about Jesus, it's seeing the beauty and the value and worth of Christ. And then like Paul, uh, counting all things loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing him. As he said, I counted all things as rubbish in order to gain Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, uh, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, so the lights had been turned on. But of course, when the lights are turned on and you come into the glorious light of Christ, you also become what? A visible target for the enemy. And that's what we've been talking about today, where in many places in the world, Uh, Being a target for Jesus means the possibility of losing your life or other gross atrocities. And we see that here. Notice it says, uh, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully. Accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Uh, you know, the question has to be raised what is it that inspires believers to follow Christ uh, to the point of death? And the answer is found right here in that last phrase in verse 34. He says, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Uh, they realized that Jesus Christ offers more than life can ever give. And he also offers more than what life or what death can ever take. And uh, and so, as we're inspired, uh, not only from the, this text, but from our brothers and sisters who are suffering... Uh, we need to follow their example and we need to realize as we come to the Lord's Supper today uh, all that we have in Jesus Christ and that He is, as we sang earlier, worthy of our what, surrender, that we would surrender all uh, to Him. So I, I pray that as we come to the Lord's Supper today, that as we focus on our Savior who was tortured and who uh, was put to death on our behalf, to pay for the penalty of our sin, who rose again, uh, that we would again see that, yes, He is worthy of our surrender. He is worthy of us following Him, no matter what the cost. And I trust that we will uh, not only be informed today, but be inspired that when we are called to stand alone for our faith, that we'll be willing to, no matter what uh, the cost. Bow with me in prayer. Father, as we enter this time Of celebrating the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would further open our eyes to see the infinite beauty and worth and value of our precious Savior, Jesus. And like Paul, uh, we would live our lives daily uh, counting all things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Him. That like Paul, we would count all things as rubbish in comparison to the value of knowing Christ, of gaining Christ, of being made conformable to his death. Knowing the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of the resurrection. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters around the world who have paid such a great price for their faith in Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that as they have, that they truly have that better possession and an abiding one. That they have truly demonstrated that Jesus is of greater value than anything life can give and anything that death can take. And Father, I pray that we too would be inspired by their example and that we would follow you regardless the cost to demonstrate our love, to demonstrate uh, our worship of you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.